Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia, where traffic is a nightmare. My gosh. I may just camp out at the office tonight because it'll take uh, so long to get home. All right. We, we, we got to talk about schools. I meant to talk about the first hour, but we got sidetracked on energy. It is Friday, so we're a little loose on with phone calls here. It's a free-for-all for you. 877-973-7425 if you want to call in. In 1966, let's step into the Wayback Machine. Before I was born, I will have you know. In 1966, Mao Zedong, the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party, the founder of the People's Republic of China, started what became known as the Cultural Revolution. The goal was to purge capitalists and traditionalists from Chinese society and essentially create a personality cult around Mao Zedong. He encouraged young people to bombard the headquarters, that is, of the Communist Party, and told them that to rebel is justified. He claimed the bourgeois was obstructing the Cultural Revolution. Now, who are the bourgeois? It's the middle class. It's the middle class, the upper middle class. It's not the rich... It's the non-blue-collar middle class that in this country, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is intent on wiping out. He claimed the bourgeois, the upper middle class, wanted to restore capitalism and needed to be fought. And one of the things that he began to do was to hold struggle sessions and to get the young people on college campuses to hold struggle sessions. Now, what is a struggle session? I want to read for you from Wikipedia because they actually capture it fairly well. Struggle sessions were a form of public humiliation and torture used by the Communist Party at various times in the Mao era, particularly during the years immediately before and after the establishment of the People's Republic of China during the Cultural Revolution. The aim of the struggle session was to shape public opinion as well as to humiliate, persecute, or execute political rivals and those deemed class enemies. In general, the victims of a struggle session were forced to admit various crimes before a crowd of people who would verbally and physically abuse the victim until they confessed. Struggle sessions were often held at the workplace of the accused, but they were sometimes conducted in sports arenas where large crowds would gather if the target were well-known. According to Lin Yutang, the expression comes from Pipin to criticize and judge and Dong Jing to fight and contest. 
So the whole expression conveyed in the message of inciting the spirit of judgment and fighting. Instead of saying the, the full phrase, uh, Pai Pen Jing, it was shortened to Pai Du. The term refers to class struggle. The session is held to benefit the target by eliminating all traces of counter-revolutionary reactive thinking. Essentially, a mob would surround the person guilty of wrong think. And they would berate, insult, harass, and threaten, and in some cases physically assault the person who had wrong think until that person confessed their wrong think and repented. That gets me to the University of Michigan. Bright Sheng is a professor of composition. Bright Sheng is a world-renowned composer, pianist, conductor, and teacher. Bright Sheng was born in Shanghai. He was a piano prodigy. When the Cultural Revolution began, his piano was taken away by the Revolutionary Red Guard. He went back to play a year later using his school's piano because Mao Zedong said families could not own pianos because pianos were a sign of the bourgeois. He loved it so much he decided to play piano the rest of his life. He had to be self-taught because teachers couldn't teach piano because piano was a skill of the bourgeois. At the end of the Cultural Revolution, he was able to be admitted to the Shanghai Conservatory of Music. He learned Western classical and Chinese classical music. He got a degree in musical composition, and he left China in 1982. He got a Master's of Arts at Queens College. He got a Doctor of Musical Arts at Columbia University. Some of the greatest pianists in the world, including Leonard Bernstein, were Bright Singh's teachers. He was the composer in residence of the Lyric Opera of Chicago, of the Seattle Symphony, the artistic director of the Wet Ink Festival of the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. He taught at the University of Washington and then joined the composition department at the University of Michigan in 1995 as an associate professor of music. He was involved in the Silk Road Project, a music project that combines the music of the Silk Road from Rome to China into harmony. He got the John Simon Guggenheim Fellowship in 1990, the Walter Nomberg Foundation Award in 1990, the Rockefeller Award in 1991, the MacArthur Foundation Fellowship in 2001, the McDonnell Colony Fellowship of 1985 and 1988, a Kennedy Center Award in 1995, and an ASCAP Concert Music Award in 2002. He pinned four movements for Piano Trio that won the Pulitzer Prize. He has written four operas. He has multiple musical pieces. 
He is world-renowned. He is one of the foremost scholars on Bach. He has had to stop teaching a class at the University of Michigan because he showed Othello to his class, the Lawrence Olivier version of Othello. The Lawrence Olivier version of Othello is one of the most famous versions of Othello that there is. Othello is a tragedy by William Shakespeare. Othello and Iago are the main characters. Othello is a Moorish general in the Venetian army charged with the generalship of Venice on the eve of war with the Ottoman Turks over the island of Cyprus. He's married Desdemona, a wealthy Venetian younger than him against the wishes of her father. Iago is Othello's jealous and bitter ensign who stokes his master's jealousy until Othello kills his wife in blind rage. Lawrence Olivier played Othello. But, but, Othello is Moorish. Lawrence Olivier was in blackface. Lawrence Olivier was in blackface. So Bright Singh, a survivor of Mao Zedong's cultural revolution, is now having to go through a cultural revolution at the University of Michigan. He has had to go through a struggle session with his students. He was vilified and shamed for subjecting his students to blackface. Oh, but my friends, he apologized. And that even made it worse. Because in apologizing... He acknowledged he should not have done it, which begged the question of why this Chinese immigrant didn't know enough to know that he shouldn't show blackface to begin with. One of his colleagues, a University of Michigan professor, Kristen Custer, has gone after the Pulitzer Committee and the MacArthur Foundation to demand they rescind his awards for musical composition because of his behavior. Let me read you some of her tweets. I'm tweeting that three weeks ago, according to a, a student, Sammy Sussman, my professor played a blackface video without any warning or discussion. That's a student. Kristen Custer replied, I'm tweeting this again. We need to have conversations about pedagogical racism and pedagogical abuse. I'm sorry this is where we are. I'm sorry we're not doing better. And then she tagged all the members of the MacArthur Foundation and the Pulitzer Committee. Now, why? Why, 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 why? Why? 
because this professor showed his students a famous work that has inspired music and on the stage had a famous composition set to the scene he showed the students of Laurence Olivier playing Othello but happened to be in blackface and it triggered the students or at least a handful of the students. Evan Chambers is a professor You would think he were teaching preschoolers because he's so horrified, so horrified that the students dared to see a white actor in blackface. Composer and conductor Kevin Scott has written about this. First, Bright Singh is one of today's finest living composers. His record is quite good. I remember meeting him uh, at the Brooklyn Philharmonic Family Concert in 1988 where he performed one of his compositions. I never, first, I never hear tell of Sammy Sussman, either as a composer, a journalist, or performer. I'll review his work after I finish writing this post. That said, this young man and his classmates cringed at seeing a classic film, which is heralded as one of the finest screen adaptions of Shakespeare's immortal classic, though I also hold Orson Welles' version from 1950 in high esteem. Now, to say that the film demeans blacks in any way is an outright joke upon unto itself. As mentioned, up until the last three, possibly four decades, we've seen many actors, both leading and characters, play roles outside their birth race. Yes, many a white and even Jewish thespian have played people of color on stage and screen. I know my ex-fiance cringed in seeing Sam Jaffe portraying Gunga Din in George Stevens' 1939 epic adventure film, one that I grew up seeing as a child on television, was also one of my father's favorite films. On the other hand, what a black and Latino actors who have played outside their ethnicities. More to the point, Othello has been classified not as a black man, but a Moor. Moors were dark-skinned, but for some reason or another, have been made to look African in various portrayals, including that when Mr. Sussman and his classmates had a rough time with Laurence Olivier portraying Othello, how would they respond to uh, Mahdi Muhammad Ahmed in the 1966 film Khartoum, which I see as I saw as a nine-year-old? Dr. Shing does not owe anyone an apology. He made a point about the bard of theater and the bard of opera. His points were about the quality of the film, the scoring, the scene, the fame, and they choose to cancel him because he was using a very famous depiction of Othello to make points that held up and were academic and were relevant. This is the University of Michigan doing this to someone who survived the Cultural Revolution in China. And his own colleagues in the music department have turned on him, a man of worldwide fame and renown, of Chinese origin, an immigrant to this country, because he showed the most famous depiction on on, on screen or a film of Othello because the main character happened to be Laurence Olivier in blackface and the students, a handful of them, not all of them, a handful of them couldn't handle it. Why is an institution of academic freedom, which the University of Michigan declares itself, why are they 
treating the professor as the bad guy instead of the students here. But it's not just happening on college campuses now. As you know, it's happening at school boards and on high school and elementary school campuses. And in Virginia, it's all broken out as Terry McAuliffe, the gubernatorial candidate, was asked to describe critical theory. Wait until you hear what he has to say. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show, the phone number is 877-973-7425. So we've got the cultural revolution happening on college campuses where uh, professors from China who fled the cultural revolution are now trapped by woke American students who can't handle seeing classic film on screen because there was a blackface character. They were so triggered. And now in Virginia, after weeks of assaulting, months really, of assaulting parents and conservatives claiming they don't know what the hell critical theory is, they can't even define it, well, listen to Terry McAuliffe, who keeps stepping in it in Virginia, trying to run for governor there. Anita, it is not taught here in Virginia. But how do you define it? Doesn't matter. It's not taught here in well, Virginia, so I'm not going to spend my time on, on what it is. I'm not even spending my time because the school board and everyone else has come out and said it's not taught. It's racist. It's a dog whistle. But if we don't have a definition, how can we say it's racist? I just want a definition from yeah. you. It, it's not taught here in Virginia. We can ask about any topic. Here's what I've said all along, and it really bothers me. You know, I re- it really bothers me. This whole idea of stirring parents up to create divisions. Our children are going through such challenges today because of COVID. And we're talking about something here today, wasting precious viewers' time. It's racist. You got that? It's racist to to even claim they're talking about critical race theory in in Virginia schools. You know what they're doing? They've changed the name, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And that's become the new liberal talk. As as people have caught on to what critical theory is, they changed the name, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you see this in, in corporations around the country now and in college campuses. It's critical race theory by a different name. And who could be against diversity, equity, or inclusion? Who could be against it? You can't, If you're against it, you're a racist. See what they've done with the branding. That's what they're doing in Virginia schools. Uh, so Forsyth County, which is a uh, big Republican county north of Atlanta, the school system there has gone woke, and they are doing critical theory, and they have changed the name to diversity, equity, inclusion. And it's all the same critical theory materials, and they're basically telling the parents to take a hike. The parents are livid. In Virginia, it's happening all across northern Virginia, and it's the Democratic parents who are having enough. And it's having spillover effects. When we come back, the city of New York, trendsetter in education, has decided to get rid of gifted programs in the schools. Why? Because of critical theory. Gifted programs are code words for white supremacy. I'll give you the details when we come back. I'm ready to go see Judah and the Lion in the concert, or just Judah who's going out on concert. This is one of their songs. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. It is the last half hour of this program, and then I get to start my Friday by standing still in traffic for two hours. (laughs) Oh, traffic sucks in Atlanta today. I don't know where you people are, but I hope uh, you got pretty weather. Finally got blue skies around here. Uh, All the rivers are flooded. It's, It's just a mess. All right. So New York City has decided. New York City? 
they've decided that they've got to ban gifted programs. Bill de Blasio wants to ban gifted programs. This stuff's made New York City. New New York City! New York City. Yep, why are they banning them? Because diversity, equity, and inclusion. Children? What we have done as a society, and, and we've done this legally over time, you need to understand this. We, we've gone for desperate impact. If you don't have, well, you know what? Let, let me back up. Let me tell you a tale of the jazz stations. Do you know why there aren't a lot of jazz stations? There used to be jazz music stations out there. I'm not a jazz listener. I'm not a big jazz person. I mean, like some jazz, but I'm not really a jazz person. And jazz stations used to be fairly common occurrences in certain cities in America. When Barack Obama became, so let, let, let me let me step back a little bit further. Years ago in radio and television, people would fill out diaries. And those diaries, they would write down what they were watching on TV or listening to on the radio. Well, Nielsen and Arbitron, they merged, and Arbitron did the diaries, and they converted to what are called um, meters, uh, PPMs. What are they? People meters that you you keep them on you, and your radio station plays a frequency that you can't hear that the meters can detect. They realized that people were writing the diaries, and just by habit, they would say, oh, I listened to Rush Limbaugh 12 or 3, whether they did or they didn't. By habit, that's what they listened to, so they wrote it down. And advertisers based their rates on that, and then the meters came along, and it turned out people didn't necessarily listen to what they were listening to, but people were listening to jazz music. People listened to the jazz stations. They charted. When the Obama administration came along in 2009, they decided, wait a second. Instead of assigning these meters to people who listen to radio statistically based on the race— we need, to dis- we need to assign them based on the statistical representation of the race in the community. So white people statistically listen to radio more than black people. But there are communities in the nation where there are more black people than white people. And so while the companies that were assigning the meters were assigning them based on the percentage of people who listen to radio – The Obama administration decided they needed to assign them based on the percentage of people who live in the area. So when you shake up the demographics of radio and you give the meters for TV and radio to people based on the percentage of races in areas as opposed to the percentage of races who listen to radio, well, a lot of white people listen to jazz music. When the ratings got shaken up because of the meters, jazz music fell out of the ratings. And advertisers buy based on the ratings. Well, even though there was a market for jazz in a white audience, they no longer made up the bulk of the people meters because they may not represent proportionally in in, uh, cities where jazz was played who actually lives in the cities. And so you no longer have jazz music stations in a lot of places. And it's disparate impact. If white people were given more of something than black people, even though black people statistically were more of the population, it was considered a racial issue. And this has been developing for a number of decades, where if proportionally 
Black people are impacted differently than white people. It's considered a racial disparate impact. Now, forget the underlying consequences. Forget the underlying situation. This is where we are now with standardized tests. Black kids tend to do worse than white kids statistically. A given number of black children taking a standardized test and a given number of white people taking a standardized test, the black kids are going to do worse. It's a disparate impact. Therefore, the standardized test must be racist. Now, you and I can say, well, it has a lot to do with home life. A black family is disproportionately more likely to be have a single mom, have a dad in jail, be poor, live in a crime-ridden inner city. Well, that should be a disparate impact, but, I mean, the government's not going to fix those problems. So what they'll do is they'll declare the standardized test racist. In New York, more white kids and Asian kids in particular. Oh, those pesky Asian kids and their smarts. They're getting into these gifted programs, and proportionally, they're not get, the, the black kids are not getting in. So they got to get rid of the gifted programs because if you keep the gifted program, well, you're going to have disparate impact. And so you can't do that. So we must punish the smart kids from the white and the Asian families. The mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, unveiled a plan to replace the highly selective program, which has become a glaring symbol of segregation in New York City public schools for incoming students. It'll be up to a successor to implement it. This is from the New York Times. Bill de Blasio said Friday he's overhauling the gifted and talented education system, a sea change for the nation's largest public school system. The mayor's action attempts to address what the city has known for decades. Its highly selective, gifted, and talented program has led to a racially segregated learning environment for thousands of elementary school students citywide. The program will no longer exist for incoming kindergarten students next fall, and within a few years it will be eliminated completely. Students who are currently enrolled in gifted classes will become the final cohort in the existing system, which will be replaced by a program that offers accelerated learning to all students in the later years of elementary school. Barring any major reversal, the gradual elimination of the existing program will re remove a major component of what many consider to be the city's two-tiered education system, in which one relatively small, largely white and Asian American group of students gain access to the highest performing schools. Gifted and talented programs are in high demand largely because they help propel students into selective middle and high schools, effectively putting children on a parallel track from the general education peers. More parents, many parents, including black and Latino parents, have sought out gifted classes as an alternative to the city's struggling schools and have come to rely on them as a way to see their children set up for future success. But other parents and researchers argue the programs worsen segregation and weaken instruction for kids not in the gifted track. So your kids must now have their good things taken away because other kids can't compete at the same level. I mean, that's what's going on here. If this is happening in New York, it's going to happen elsewhere. The wokes have decided you can't have your kid in a gifted program because not enough minority children get in. 
and therefore it must be racist. Never mind that the education system is actually exposing a pretty damning indictment on how black and Latino kids are treated in the education system, but also the collapse of families. It is actually not a secret why some kids get into the gifted program and others don't. Do you know what the kids, the black kids, the Hispanic kids, the Asian kids, and the white kids all have in common who get into the gifted program? Do you know what the overwhelming, it's not income. It is not income. You know what it is? Can some of you bring yourselves to say it? You're not supposed to say that. They have two parents at home. They have a mom and a dad active in their education. Uh Uh-huh. Some of them are divorced. But overwhelmingly, whether they're black or they're Hispanic or they're white or they're Asian, they have two parents at home participating in their children's upbringing and education. You know, the the left says that's privilege. If you live in a two-parent heterosexual nuclear household, you're privileged. See, what they're trying to do is they're trying to make the way you're supposed to raise kids a pejorative. Somehow you get penalized for doing things the right way. You get penalized for the way things are supposed to be. They want to punish you and now punish your children for the privilege of doing things the right way, of winning at life, of playing the game of life the way it's meant to be played. Now, here's part of the problem that's going to happen is they're they're not actually going to accelerate the other kids. If they do, they'll just be creating a new gifted program and go back to having the same problem. What's actually going on here? is they're going to cause boredom for kids. You know, Charlie, my producer who took off today, abandoned me. He's got several friends from back in Montana. He was telling me they got bored in high school because their high school didn't have a gifted program. The kids were really smart. They dropped out of high school early, got their GED, and went on to college early. I have, My daughter is, and I don't say this as proud dad, my daughter actually is very smart. She's a gifted artist, and she wants to go to tech and be an engineer now. For years, she's wanted to be an artist, and she's finally come to the conclusion that she she takes her face seriously, and she knows that if she goes to art school, she was bullied in school because of what I do for a living as a conservative talk show host. That if she went to art school, she'd be surrounded with a bunch of people who don't share her worldview, don't share her God, and really hate her dad. She's a brilliant artist. She wants to go to engineering school now. She wants to go to tech. And she's really good in school. She makes A. She's in calculus. She's in 10th grade. They put her in calculus. In 9th grade, they put her in 12th grade art. That's how good of an artist she is. And now she's in biology. Now, she transferred into this school from another school several years ago where she'd already had biology. She is bored out of her mind. And a lot of kids will just tune out and get into trouble. She's actually decided to just teach herself other stuff taking some online classes on her own initiative. 
I don't know how I lucked out with this kid, but I am blessed in that regard. But she knows friends of hers who got, they transferred to a, a school where they transferred in in such a way they couldn't get into the gifted program and they got bored. Now they're in drugs. Now their grades are going down overall. They got bored and, and lost their inspiration to get an education. That's what's going to happen in New York. It's, it's all very obvious. Y'all, I, I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. The data is there if you care to look at it, and they just don't want to look at it because if they look at it, it's a damning indictment on what's happened since the, the Great Society program of Lyndon Johnson as we have broken up families and told them moms and dads don't matter. Uncle Sam's man boob can take care of you. You don't need dad in the house. Dad is expendable. And let's just be really freaking honest here. The entire thing has been really about dad. Dad is the butt of all of the jokes on TV. Dad is the expendable one. Everybody talks about mommies and moms. They don't talk about dad. Dads are interchangeable. A mom can be a dad. You can have two dads or two moms and one of the moms. Notice how it always, even in same-sex households, one tends to take the role of the mother. One tends to take the role of the father. And it's the one that takes the role of the father. Totally expendable. Dads matter. Two parents in the house matter. Kids need a mom and a dad. They need the nurturing mother. They need the father who overwhelmingly tends to be the source of income for the family, even as two parents work. It doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it's the mom that's the breadwinner in the family. But having the two parents actively involved, it matters. It's not privilege. It's the way it's supposed to be, and you shouldn't be punished for raising your children in the way it's supposed to be. And sometimes it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort, and sometimes the parents, they want to get divorced, and they stay together for the kids. And there's actually a ton of data that even in those dysfunctional marriages, it's still better for the kids to have two parents in the household helping, sharing the load, sacrificing their own happiness for their kids. And New York City has decided to punish that because the wokes demand it, because the wokes want to break up society, because if they can break up society, and how do you break up society? You break up the family, and if they can break up the family, they can control all of us. The only way, and this is so important for you to understand, the only way to beat them is to not play their game. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. You know, I, I just, I, I got to reemphasize this. The only way to fight the wokes is to not play. Uh, look at all of the, the, the rush to cancel people because of outrage by the mob. You wait a week, the mob goes away. You wait out the mob, the mob eventually turns its sights. Your goal is to just survive the 48 to 72 hour whirlwind, like, for example, Dave Chappelle. So there's a was a show on Netflix that just wrapped up called Dear White People. It was a show uh, for a black audience. Turns out that the showrunner was not black, but a white guy who decided he was going to be a white woman. And so the guy has transitioned, is now a trans woman, and he is demanding that uh, something be done about Dave Chappelle for Dave Chappelle's statements on uh, transgenderism. Chappelle, I mentioned yesterday, has come out in this Netflix comedy special poking fun at everybody. One of his lines is that he loves everybody except white people. Chappelle says he's a turf, that is a, a, um, 
uh, a trans exclusionary radical feminist. That is uh, someone who believes that a, a man cannot become a woman. And for that, the transgender community wants Netflix to take down his special and never give him anything else. Dave Chappelle. He released a statement saying if this was cancellation, this is, he, he was totally down with it. He liked it. Um, that he didn't have to work again. That the white people, think about this, think about this. The white people want to silence the black man because the black man does not share the white man's view. We, we're, we're there, folks. We're there. White dude wants to shut up black dude for not agreeing with white dude. Hello, 19th century. How are you? <laughs> wow. My goodness gracious. Jefferson Davis called. He'd like his country back, apparently. Good grief. This is absurd. Uh, can't people voice their dissent and not be silent? Not, not if you're woke. The only way to win is to not play the game. Not play the game. You can't play the game with these people. Just don't give in to them. Eventually, they get tired. They go on to other things, like the Horde of Mordor. They get, they get bored. They move on to the next, the, the next village to try to ransack. It's just absurd that we're here in the 21st century. All right. So on Monday, it's Columbus Day. You're going to be hearing a lot of talk about indigenous people and how awful Christopher Columbus was. I just want you to keep in mind Christopher Columbus brought Western civilization to the Americas. And that was a profoundly good thing for human history, despite what the people who lived in huts and knew nothing of tobacco or firearms or anything else thought. Um, Christopher Columbus is a hero. He's not the villain of the story. The fact that they want to make him the villain of the story uh, says more about them than him. He arrived in a ship to with a wheel to a bunch of people who knew none of this stuff and were murdering each other. Engaged in human sacrifice, he helped tame the savage West, and that's a good thing. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.